what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Something that we talk about in our church, something that runs through the current of uh, Christianity from the very beginning and birth of the church. What Christ accomplished on the cross is literally what brings us together. It's, it's literally what joins us together. What Christ accomplished on the cross is what makes us family. It's what creates power for living. It's what gives us intimacy with God. It is what opens the avenue for us to live in power, indwelt by the Spirit of God. What Jesus accomplished on the cross chases away the barriers, demolishes the, uh, the obstacles for us to find forgiveness in life. What Jesus accomplished on the cross. Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we get together every week. Not so that we can just see each other and have hoorah and fun fun and all that. That's good. I love that, right? But that's not why we get together. What brings us together is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Some of us forget that sometimes. Sometimes we imagine that the reason we get together is because this is my core group. This is my, this is my, uh, these are my peeps and we do these things together and it becomes more of a social than it does um, uh, an organism created by the blood of Jesus Christ. What brings us together is the cross of Christ. What, what leads us to live out each day is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. One of the reasons that we are a church that prays together is because what Jesus accomplished on the cross paves the way for us to come with boldness before the throne of grace. And we live in difficult times. We live in challenging moments personally and, and uh, culturally and socially and relationally. That's all true, but the power of God and His presence and His promise overwhelms every obstacle that we face. So we must pray. As a people that prays together, this church commits at least one minute every day to pray at one o'clock for at least one minute for one thing. And this week, I invite you to join me at one o'clock praying for at least 60 seconds. Lord, today I bring my griefs and my sorrows to you. And I ask you to comfort me with your rescuing love. What a beautiful prayer. And can you imagine if we pray that prayer every day and believe that God will do what we're asking him to do because of Jesus Christ? Can you imagine the difference that will make in our life? Can you imagine the difference that will make as we relate to people that we encounter every day in need of hope? Will you join me at 1 o'clock praying for this one thing? Lord, today I bring my griefs and my sorrows to you. And I ask you to comfort me with your rescuing love. Hey, the good news is he commits himself to bear our griefs and our burdens, our sorrows and our pains. That's what he commits to do. When we come to him, and Jesus has committed himself already. 
And that's what we celebrate today when we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion. This is what we celebrate. We celebrate a rescuing love that takes us away from the uh, jaws of punishment and consequence of death because of our sin. And brings us into God's family. That's what communion does. It, it is a time for us to reflect and remember. It's a time for us to consider that, that we're not here because of what we have done. But we are here only because of what Jesus has done for us. The, the good news that we celebrate today is that God cares about us, not at our best, but at our worst. My family, uh, extended family, uh, brothers and sisters-in-law and mom and dad, uh, we have a group text, and it's the Big Thomas Family group text. I think that's what it's called. And uh, we got a text yesterday. My nephew, his name's Simon. Uh, Simon was playing basketball, and, and uh, he's in Oklahoma. He, he was playing basketball and uh, broke uh, his leg. Uh, and, and I'm not saying it right. It's more serious than just a broken leg. It's more than a fracture. They had to put pins and all that kind of stuff, but he broke it. And so uh, my mom and dad happened to be in Oklahoma visiting uh, my brother and, and his precious wife, Jill, and and that was wonderful, but we get the text. Simon has been taken to the hospital. He's going to have surgery. And, and it, it's a simple principle, just real simple principle. If someone you care about or something you care about is broken, you're going to do what it takes to fix it. Simon breaks his leg. Can you imagine my brother Heath looking at his son uh, on the basketball court, broken leg, yelling out, Simon, walk it off. <laughs> that would be, you know, insensitive. It would be uh, the opposite of loving, right? And the, the reality is that God looks at us in our brokenness, and he doesn't say get up and walk it off. See, like a car whose engine has been uh, cracked, like a pair of, of glasses uh, whose lens has been shattered, like a, a tree who's rotting at its root, you and I have been broken, shattered, rotted by sin. Sin is the greatest enemy of humanity. The absolute single greatest enemy of humanity is sin. And we are responsible for it. Not some ineffable bad dude out there. I'm responsible for the sin that I have done. And the consequence of that sin is separation from God. And the result... The end result of that sin is punishment that is eternal. That's what sin does. That's what my sin does. But I know that sin is bad because I know how broken I am. And God looked down from the halls of heaven and he didn't say, Eric, get up and walk it off. 
He knew I couldn't fix sin myself. He, I, he knew that I couldn't fix the brokenness of my life. God cares enough for sinners like you and me to fix what's broken. Isaiah chapter 53 is a vision that God gave the prophet Isaiah about the servant, Jesus, who was to come. At the end of chapter 52, this servant, Jesus, is the king who would come and set the broken world right. In Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 1, it's surprising how Jesus, the servant, Jesus, the king, would come and set a broken world right. Listen to the word of the Lord. Isaiah 53, beginning of verse 1. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, the servant, Jesus... For he shall grow up before God as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He, the servant Jesus, has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3, he, the servant Jesus, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, he The servant Jesus was despised, and we did not esteem him. Verse 4. Surely he, the servant Jesus, has borne our griefs, and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are made whole. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the servant Jesus the iniquity of us all. Perhaps the first thing that we need to remember when we celebrate communion is that brokenness, a broken life, is not because circumstances are bad. That's not the first cause. It's not the primary cause. A broken life, not because people have disappointed us. That's not the first cause. That's not the primary cause. It's not because we didn't get the promotion we wanted or uh, the, the, the sweetheart that we asked to be our valentine said, no way. The first and the primary cause of a broken life, your broken life, my broken life, is because of sin. Sin, my rebellion against God. Verse 6, uh, all we, that's everyone in the room, all we, like sheep have gone astray. Each one, everyone, turned to his own way. We've decided that our way, instead of God's way, is the best way. And because of that, we have entered into a place of rebellion. And with that rebellion, there is consequence. And the consequence of our rebellion, our sin, transgression, iniquity against the Lord, our, our, the consequence of that is 
We are broken. And we can't fix ourselves. What is it about a car engine once it's cracked? The reason I use a cracked car engine is because I've cracked a car engine before. But not by virtue of my intellect, by the way. Is there anything within an engine that can fix itself once the block has been cracked? Is there anything, if, if my prescription glasses, these aren't prescription, but if my prescription glasses, if the lenses were shattered, is there anything within the, the glasses themselves that can fix that shattered lens? For a tree, a tree that has been rotted from the root, and falls over. Is there anything within the framework of that tree, once the root has been rotted, is there anything that can, that tree can do to fix itself? Today, you and I, we live among a people that believe, yes, I know that there's something broken about me, but I can fix it myself. But it's a lie. It's not true. You can't. I can't. We can't. And we've all taken this deluded path of our way and said it's the best way and said God's way is irrelevant for me. And that's called sin. It's called transgression. It's called iniquity. And because of your iniquity, because of your rebellion, because of my sin, we're separated from God and that's what breaks us. And there's no fixing us. We can't do it on our own. We try. We put, we, we put a little religious Band-Aid on them. We put a little uh, moral Band-Aid on them. We put a little bit of pleasure Band-Aid on them. We put a little intellect Band-Aid on it. We trade off philosophies because we find a philosophy that may feel, make us feel a little bit better. Or, uh, we point our finger at everybody else and say, you're the blame for my brokenness. And, and do all these things when reality is we all are like sheep. That have gone astray. We, everyone, has turned to his own way. This is my problem. And the fix for my problem doesn't come from me. The fix for your problem doesn't come from you. That's why it's so deceptive when you uh, watch or listen to uh, self-help gurus or popular TikToker influencers or Hallmark movies, you listen to them and you say, all I have to do is follow where my heart leads and yes, I'm fixed. But it's a lie. It'll never deliver what it promises. It might be fun entertainment for a moment, but it will not give you lasting wholeness. The only way to wholeness is from what God has provided through the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus, the servant, the king. And it doesn't look like Jesus is much of a king. In verses 1 through 3 of, of Isaiah 53, it, it, they say, who's believed this report? And, and is this the arm of the Lord? This, this guy that comes, we look at him and he doesn't have the, the, the majesty of a king. He doesn't have the beauty of a king. He doesn't have the pomp and circumstance of a king. 
How can this be the arm of the Lord, the one who accomplishes God's purpose, who turns a broken world and makes it right? Is this the one? And certainly, when Jesus was ministering in Galilee, people were expecting a warrior king. They were expecting someone to take on Caesar and destroy him. But this king... This servant named Jesus, he came in the form of a servant. Instead of riding a white stallion into Jerusalem, he rode a donkey. Instead of gaining victory over Pontius Pilate, he went to die on a cross. Is this the one? Who has believed our report? He's not much to look at. You see, the purposes of God wasn't to create a political rule in the realm of humanity, but rather the purpose of God is to take those whom he loves who are broken and make them whole. And so he sends a Savior. His name is Jesus. And Jesus was crushed so that you and I might be made whole. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and lifted away our sorrows. Yet we have esteemed him, counted him, stricken. Smitten by God and afflicted. So Jesus came with this rescuing work to take our griefs and our sorrows, the pain and the, and the suffering of our life, and to lift it up, placing it upon himself and carrying it away. And he did that not about his own sufferings, not about his own pain. He did it for your pain and suffering. And when we looked at Jesus, according to verse 5, it says we, we saw him and he seemed like he had been stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. Three terms that describe punishment and discipline. Looking at Jesus, you see not a king who's sitting on a throne, but a, a criminal being punished by a holy God. Verse 5 tells us that it wasn't for his transgressions, nor was it for his iniquity that he took the punishment. But it was yours, your transgression, your iniquity. When we come to the Lord's Supper, this is not just some religious little ditty that we go through and say, yay. This is a deep reflection on how Eric Thomas's sin killed Jesus. Jesus. 
and how Jesus willingly, even joyfully, determined that he would be killed for the sin of Eric Thomas. He was wounded for his transgressions? No, for yours and mine. He was bruised for his iniquities? No, for yours and mine. The chastisement, the punishment, the whipping that would bring peace to us was laid upon him. What would make me whole, have peace with God and others, that which, which would make me not broken anymore, that was put on Jesus, not, not me. By his wounds, his wounds, that's how I'm made whole. Well, friends, please understand that when we gather here today, we gather here with a deep weight. Jesus died. For me. And because he died for me, I can be forgiven. Because he died for me, I can be made whole. Because he died for me. I'm no longer a stranger and a foreigner to the promises of God. But now I am enwrapped by his mercy and grace and entered into his family. No longer do I live in impotence. No longer do I live in fear. But now the very presence of God, the spirit of the living God, dwells within me all because Jesus died for me. When we come here, And we take the bread and the cup. Please don't just rush in and think, woohoo, communion. Please don't nonchalantly take the bread and take the cup and say, well, at least I did this one this quarter. The bread and the cup are merely symbols of the Savior. His name is Jesus So let us focus our our mind's attention and our heart's affection on the one who died for me and rose again. Because I was broken in my sin, God sent Jesus particularly and peculiarly to rescue me. And I placed my faith in Jesus And I turned from my sin and I trusted in Jesus. And in that moment, that wondrous transaction of God's grace, I once was broken, but now I've been made whole. 
And if that's the testimony of your life, then you understand what we're celebrating today. If that's the testimony of your life, then then don't rush into communion, but rather reflect, feel the weight of what Jesus has done on your behalf. Second Corinthians 5, verse 21, the Apostle Paul really summarizes this good news that we celebrate today in this way. It says that God made him, Jesus the servant, God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was crushed so that we might be made whole. And we who have been made whole by Jesus must celebrate. In the next few moments, we're going to have communion together. And our deacons are going to come and they're going to stand at the tables. And they have a little contraption that looks like this. They're going to help you get here if you're a follower of Jesus and you're ready for communion. They're going to help you get here and Take one of these contraptions. You take it. You take it back to your seat. And we'll, we'll celebrate communion together as a family. It's a picture of how Jesus celebrated with his followers. Matthew chapter 26, beginning verse 26. It tells us on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he passed it among his disciples and he lifted the bread and he said this is my body broken for you eat in remembrance of me and then he passed the cup and he said this is the cup of the new covenant my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sin this morning if you're one of the many whose sins have been forgiven because you've placed your faith in Jesus I invite you to the table and as you come remember Reflect, consider. I'm going to be reading some scripture as you come. Don't rush up here. Don't rush back. Let the Spirit of God pierce your heart once again. The magnificence of God's love that makes you whole. And the terror of Christ's sacrifice that made it happen. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Oh, God in heaven, thank you so much for the glorious grace and the goodness that you have given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. I pray, oh God, that this morning we all might be captured again by the power and the significance of your great grace in sending Jesus to our rescue. 
I pray, O oh Lord, that in these next few moments you might once again draw us to yourself and lead us to celebrate what you have accomplished through Jesus Christ our King. And now for all of us who have gathered here, my prayer is that we would see Jesus Christ, the servant who is our King. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Deacons, would you come? First Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, Remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In Him, in Jesus Christ, in Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of of his grace. Romans chapter 5, beginning verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His love toward us 
and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God sent His Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the payment price for our sins. Beloved, if God has loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ suffered once on account of sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For Jesus shall grow up before the Lord as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. Jesus had no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely, he has borne our griefs. Surely, he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that would bring us peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are made whole. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. Thank you, gentlemen. In this container, on one side you have a wafer, and on the opposite side you have a liquid, the cup. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to peel back the side where 
the wafer is. Before you do that, I want you to remember. I want you to reflect. I want you to think. Jesus gave himself to be broken, to be crushed, so that through faith in him, your sin might be forgiven and you might be made whole. Oh, what a Savior. Peel back. Put that wafer in your hand. A picture of Christ's body. He broke the bread and he passed it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body, broken for you. Eat and remember. On the opposite side is the liquid. And before we peel that back, I just want you to remember and consider that Jesus knew that he was going to give his life. Before he was ever arrested in Jerusalem, he said in Mark 10 45 that he was the Son of Man who had come. Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, a payment for sinners like you and me. Go ahead and peel back that portion. After Jesus passed the bread, he took the cup and he passed it. He said, This is the cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sin. Drink. Lord Jesus, even now, as we celebrate and reflect on the price that you have paid so that we might live, I pray, O God, that you would speak to our hearts and inspire us with a deeper passion and a greater commitment to serve you. You are our King. Oh, that we would have the perspective of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2 where he says, I have been crucified with Christ It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, that we would live for you as you have died for us. Now, as we celebrate and as we worship in this place at this time for your glory, I pray, oh God, that you would, by your Spirit, embolden us 
to fulfill that singular purpose that you've given us, which is to glorify you in all that we are and all that we do.